There's a big storm coming Of this I've no doubt That storm's gonna blow Yeah, little world inside out When the wild winds let up When the violence wanes You'll think of me then When you're watching it rain It ain't the wind A councilman says he won't run again. The man who oversees the state's budget talks about that job and more. A new book on local history you might have missed because it could be hidden. All this and more on this week's Anderson Observer podcast, news from people you trust, and it has been another great week in Anderson. Black History Month is off to a great start. There have been a lot of good events. They really kicked off with Martin Luther King Day. They had the breakfast and then the big event at the Civic Center. All those things went really well. And there's also a series going on at the Anderson County Library. You can check it out on their Facebook page or their website. They're hosting there and some other sites discussing a book. It's a really, a really good group of people they're pulling together for all those discussions. So you might want to check them out. A lot of folks getting ready for events in the weeks ahead. Lenten season is underway for those seeking to deepen their faith in the days leading up to Easter. And I'll talk more about this week's best bets and things to do here at the end of the podcast and maybe some more. But for now, it does look like spring is sneaking into town. The weather is mild and expected to get downright warm in the days ahead. Of course, rain, 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 they're kind of calling for. I hope it's not another false spring with just enough warm weather to get the crops started before the late freeze. If you remember, the peaches were hit hard last year and some of the other crops. Hope that doesn't happen again to our fine folks who garden and farm because that's just something difficult to overcome. But pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training, so that's always good news. And the official beginning of the baseball season and the spring season is about six weeks away, uh, so those who are tired of winter's cold and the high heating costs that went with that are rejoicing and dreaming of summer and spring, and they'll be thinking about these nice cool nights and days we had when we get to July and August, I guess. There's some difficult news this week. I'm not going to talk about it too much, but didn't want to acknowledge because it has really been in the news, and people that have been downtown have seen the, the crowds and the streets shut down for these hearings. Uh, the families of the Townville Elementary School kids there have been a hearing there, and they're all reminded of that tragedy as the suspect's hearing drags on in the courthouse downtown. I say drags on. It's just a slow process. Prayers all around for these families. So if you you see that and happen to think about it, say a little prayer for those families. And meanwhile, downtown continues to make big plans with a developer, uh, multiple developers, actually. One's just uh, announced they're going to receive $250,000 in incentives to develop the property across from City Hall. And that comes on the heel of the announcement, which is still a little confusing to me. I'm going to try to clear up on this podcast at some point, uh, that a new downtown hotel is planned in the Church Street parking lot. Hope the new downtown planner has a strategy on that one, and I'll bet she does. But it's also time to celebrate Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill's anniversary, uh, the establishment that kicked off the renaissance of almost everything that's happened downtown since. Bill Nickerson and his wife Sabre took a chance almost 20 years ago when nobody was taking a chance on downtown. And, of course, we know the results have been amazing. Consistently, Sullivan's is rated one of the top 100 restaurants in America, one of only two in South Carolina to get that distinction. And with people making special visits from Greenville, Spartanburg, even as far away as Atlanta to eat there, uh, we can be proud of Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill. They do offer the finest food you can get anywhere for special occasions or just a nice dinner out. And their lunch menu, menu brings more fresh local food at very affordable prices, and it's really good. And if you go in on a nice, cool, or cold day, get the open-faced pot roast sandwich, something most people don't even know they have. That is just one of the secret uh, culinary delights of Anderson. And if you can't come to them, you can cater your next family or corporate event at Sullivan's Caters. And the same great food at your location, and they have been a loyal sponsor of this podcast since the beginning, and of the Anderson Observer News from People You Trust. And I hope you will visit them this week and tell them you heard about it right here on the Anderson Observer Podcast, News from People You Trust. And I will, as an aside, say, too, that uh, Bill Nickerson and his wife, Sabre, and the whole crew down there have been first in line to help charities in town. So we do appreciate the part in the community and role they've played in the community there. This past week also brought some pretty big news. Uh, the Anderson County Councilman Tom Allen will not seek re-election in November. You know, he toyed with this last time, but now he's made the decision that after a decade on council, um, you know, Tom has been a reasonable voice and a strong advocate for economic development and in revising the Animal Anderson County Animal Ordinances and documents that have become models for the whole state. 
he really loves the dogs and cats and animals and has really worked hard on that with all sides to try to get things done there. Been a hardworking uh, council member. He um, will be missed by the county as a whole, and particularly his district. And it's hard to argue that this Vietnam veteran that has spent his lifetime in public service deserves a break. And that's what he said when we spoke earlier this week. And I know some of this you talked about the other night, but what you've served for 10 years now on county council, right? Well, it will be 10 at the end of this year right, right. through December 31st, yeah. Okay. And you've, what, what, are you, what are you proudest of in all the time you've been there? What are, what are your proudest accomplishments? Well, I think two things. Uh, one is the, the uh, amount of economic development that we've been able to bring into Anderson County. And I, I certainly, I mean, we on council played a small portion of that, but I really give credit to our, you know, Burris Nelson and, uh, and Rusty, the way they've, they've worked on that. And uh, we've supported them all the way, and I'm pretty proud of, of that and the way things have developed around here. Um, the second thing would be the animal ordinance, and I, I say that simply because I worked on that pretty much. Every uh, day for the last 10 years. That was my thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so get, getting some things put in there, which I think have been a big help, and now we've got a uh, essentially a no-kill shelter here in Anderson, which uh, really is one of the leaders in the state, I think, as far as animal shelters go, because people around the state here are, are contacting paws down here wanting to know how do you do that. So uh, I feel really good about the way the animal ordinance and the way the animal shelter's been working. And that came out of you so, being a big um, animal lover, too, right? I mean, you're a big... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, of... Yeah, my wife's got me trained well. She, she, <laughs> she'll take anything in the house that's got four legs. It doesn't matter. You know? right. so, no, I wouldn't put that in the, pa- in the paper, <laughs> though, but uh, <laughs> I might get in trouble. But um, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I know there's something else, and I can't remember what it was. Well, a lot of, that, um, a lot of the things y'all did were tangential economic development. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Sure was. Um, I guess that's... Uh, well, council has seen a lot of cooperative efforts grow in the last 10 years as well. I mean, between schools and other things that, that really we didn't see as much before this this council that's been here well, the last... That, that, that's, a, that's another thing. I, I seriously believe on council, we've got a, a good group that's been on council, and everybody's worked well together. They really, really have. I mean, yeah, we, you know, we don't always agree on everything, but everybody on that council's friendly with one another. And, you know, we, we get along fine on there. So I think the cooperation has been a real, a real positive thing on county council, the way we've all, all worked together. Actually, I, we all work together really well. Right. So, Is there anything you'll miss about being on council? Uh, yeah, the people. Um, the people. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good group of folks, not only on council, but the county employees. Um, real good bunch of friendly folks. They work hard. They do their best to get the job done. And I've had a, a very good, very cooperative relationship with all of the uh, with all the county staff. Yeah, so that I'll miss. Uh, <laughs> I consider them to be good friends. Anything so. you Anything you won't miss? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of phone calls coming to the house for this, that, and the other. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you were know. saying y'all had only you and your wife only had two vacations in thirty years. Thirty years. That's right. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. And she stayed yeah, with you. That, <laughs> Yeah, how about that? Well, heck, both of us, you know, with both of us working, right? Um, I don't know. It just seemed like we never got a got around to it, as the expression goes. So, so remind uh, me again. Remind remind folks again what y'all plan to do now that you're going to uh, finish out this term, and what are y'all going to do? And she's retiring, right? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, my my wife is going to be retiring this spring, actually, the end of March. Um, and we, we'd just like to have some more time to ourselves, be able to, to do some traveling while we still can. And um, personally, I plan on staying active, you know, to, to at least some degree around Anderson County. I'm not going to, you know, just hide under a rock somewhere. But, um, you know, just give us more free time to do something before we're too old to, to get out and do anything. Well, that sounds exciting. Take vacations. Now, are you so, planning to endorse anybody for your seat, or are you just going to sit back and... No, okay. not, not at this time. I don't even know who's going to run. Okay. 
And there are a lot of rumors about who might be running, and we might deal with that some next week. Uh, we'll we'll may surprise you with a new segment next week. Uh, I would like to thank Tom Allen for being accessible to me, and I, from what I can tell, all media, and for being an elected official who's been easy to work with, even when we've disagreed on some things. Some things we've had some pretty marked disagreements on. It's always been very civil in our discussions. So if you live in Anderson County District 4 and you can think about throwing your hat into the ring, no one has officially announced yet. And though, like I said, rumors do abound. And meanwhile, the chairman of the South Carolina Ways and Means Committee, Anderson's Representative Bride White, is working on the budget for the entire state. And while serving his constituents here at home and while helping Anderson County remain an important headquarters for economic development, he has a very full plate for what is supposed to be a part-time job. And I talked to Representative White about his role in Columbia and that of a legislative delegation and several other things when we sat down earlier this week. Why is it important uh, for us to have um, a legislative delegation in Anderson County that works together? Well, you find out uh, that a lot of parts of the, of the state, actually, they, uh, they have either small or large delegations and they don't, they don't work well together. Uh, which, you know, really, if you kind of stick together, it's all about your area and then your area to the state. Um, and there's some that in the lower part of the state, there's some in the up, upper state, uh, upstate South Carolina that also sit there and say, you know, one side of the county may want something over the other. Um, but here in Anderson, we're kind of fortunate. Um, we, we take our turn, so to speak, uh, kind of like a, like a family. You know, to the point of, well, you know, something may be done in Pendleton. Uh, well, then Iva may be next, or Belt and Honeypath, um, those types of, or maybe it's the city of Anderson at, at some point that needs it. But we take, we understand our area. We understand each other really well. Um, some things that people may or may not understand is we actually go break bread together when we're not in Columbia. Uh, also, so it is like a family uh, to that point. Uh, I mean, I've had children born while I've been in office, and members of the delegation are always there. For some of the first ones with casserole, you know, they almost beat the church church family there to that point. So, it, with that, it, it does work well together. Now, we, we do have disagreements, like every family would, or uh, but you don't see those disagreements out in public because that's kind of harmful at that point. We agree to disagree, uh, but in the end, we do a collective. Uh, part where we get and we know what's best and we do that and we share something we also do that's very uncommon um, is we share a lot of appointments with Oconee County uh, to the point of it's done by judicial circuits uh, and I say that'd be like the University of South Carolina Board of Trustees or the State Board of Education appointment uh, Oconee's delegation is not that large uh, and Anderson clearly is uh, twice the size of Oconee's and we could just bully them and do whatever we want. Uh, but it's been a long understanding. It's one of the first things uh, that was brought to my attention whenever I got elected. Uh, basically, the, they come in and says, hey, look, we got this understanding with Oconee. This is how it works. Uh, you got to uphold the, the agreement that's always been done. And that's passed down from you know, member to member to that point. And, and they accept what we do. We accept what they do when it comes to those times of appointments. And uh, so we not only we work well together with each other, we work together uh, with Oconee, those within our, our, our districts and our boundaries, too. So. What about working closely with Anderson County officials and the local municipalities? How important is that, that the delegations plugged into those folks? It's very important, actually. I mean, we all got to pull together to be successful. Uh, if you get anyone that's, you know, not pulling the same, same way, and years ago, it wasn't always that way. I mean, you had, uh, basically, there was uh, you know, some disconnect with the county, uh, not so much the city, you know, and then the past has been some of the cities, not so much the county. Uh, and right now, I think it's something that, that we have that I've never seen. I mean, I've, I've been elected now. I got elected in 2000. Uh, my first session was in 2001. This is the first time that I can remember going back the last several years that, that actually that you have the delegation, you have county council, you have city councils and school districts all working together, and that has never really been the case. Uh, and it is now, and I think you're seeing the fruits of those labors of everyone getting along, going in the same direction. I mean, you've got basically a great career center that's going out on uh, 28 bypass uh, with school districts three, four, and five, um, and that's never happened. 
to that point. So, I mean, it's it's working well. Uh, and I think it's part of that's to the times, too. I mean, you look at the economy, uh, how the times have changed, uh, technology, people are used to driving further distances to work, doing doing things, things have, has, has evolved. And I think that's helped bring three, four, and five together for the career center. So there's not so much jealousy uh, amongst districts like there used to be. I mean, it used to be really, really... Uh, to the point where five was always looked at as the you know as the big dog on the street had to have everything and rule everything, uh, but that's not the case now. I think it's a great partnership amongst all the all the school districts. Uh, bleeds over into what the delegation needs to do in Columbia to move education forward, uh, whether it's the K-12 or whether it's the technical college system, or whether it's higher ed. I mean, you look at Anderson being a good test bed. Uh, for South Carolina, we've got uh, a four-year institution here with Anderson University. We have a fantastic uh, technical college that helps us in economic development. We got five wonderful school districts, some of the best in the state. Uh, we've got a very diverse county when you look at that part. Uh, uh, we've got great recreation here. So, I mean, you take it and then look at the rest of the state and apply. You know, if we can do it to Anderson, we can do it the rest of the state. And uh, so that's kind of the beauty of, of trying to represent Anderson County is it has really got the dynamics uh, that we can apply statewide. Well, those dynamics and the cooperative efforts you're talking about, are those key factors in like the recent announcement that we're one, you know, uh, the leader in the state in economic development and bringing in new jobs and, well, good paying industry? And Absolutely. I mean, you look at the point, um, uh, the other day I was on the phone with uh, President Clements at Clemson University uh, talking about different things, you know, and they were involved in Arthrex that just located here. I mean, that is going to be uh, we all keep saying game changers. You know, uh, TTI is a game changer in its industry and bringing uh, the quality of jobs here. You know, we've always had Bosch's. We've got the uh, Michelin's. You know, we've got a lot of major corporations, and now we've got major corporations that are expanding. TTI has been here for a long time. Uh, people just didn't realize it. It's had some name changes, but it's been here for quite a while. But to them to come and make an investment for their future to grow the way they want to was big. And then on the backs of that, you have a, a Arthrex come in that is, uh, you know, a world-class uh, medical manufacturer. Uh, going to bring in world-class surgeons here to this area. So that's going to help, you know, basically our medical community as well. So, I mean, it's, you know, in these things, you know, you look back at Greenville successes, everybody kind of wants to be, you know, the Greenville or compare themselves to the Greenville's. But Greenville started a little bit the same way with some major corporations expanding or, or moving into it that, that kind of bumped it up another notch. And I think these, these last two are going to bump it up a notch for, for Anderson, uh, which is a great thing. Uh, I mean, we've got Lake Hartwell, which is fabulous. We're getting you know, known now nationally for our bass fishing. We've always known it was good. We just got to expose it to the rest of the world. And now we are uh, with the Green Pond Landing going in out there. Yeah, and that's where you take, you know, something that was a negative and turn it into a positive. I mean, back in the day of the PCB spills and the settlements, and that, that was built with a lot of that money. So now it's turned into more of, you know, getting people to the lake, fishing, helping our economic uh, side of things, giving us the, the visibility uh, along the way of saying, hey, this is a great destination to come fish. Uh, so now we've got a little bit of work to do on some other things um, out there. But I think it's it's a great canvas that we can go paint it our way. Are some of these things the things that play into why Anderson's the the, the international leader? We have my understanding is we have uh, 53 uh, companies from 18 countries, which is more than any other county in, in the state. Are these things you're talking about? Why why would an international company be interested in Anderson? I think if you go look at it, uh, international economic development, uh, quality of life, sustainability. Uh, some of the big keys uh, that they want. Uh, and you look here, we've got a lot of things moving in that direction. Uh, keep going back to one, you've got a great educational system. You have a good health care system. You have, uh, and I say education, you're going from K-12 all the way into a technical side of things for training your workers to the ability to get quality engineers uh, out of Clemson University. Um, weekends, you got great sports going on up there, college sports right now at Clemson's some of the best in the country. Um, we've got a lot of interstate, I-85, we're between, Andrew, or between Atlanta and Charlotte. Um, you know, you can be in the mountains if you want to go hiking or what have you. You can stay in the South Carolina mountains or you can cross over into North Carolina. 
you know, what hour, hour and 15 minutes. You could be in Charleston in three and a half hours. Well, you used to go, now the traffic's backing up a little bit. It might take about four. Uh, but to that point, you know, it's just a good situation to live. You want to go to have a big city and go to a you know professional sporting venue? Well, you're about two hours away in either direction. So, I mean, it's centrally located uh, to that point, and it's still a small hometown feeling, but yet you get a lot of big-time stuff. And if you go over overseas, it's a lot of the same way. Uh, we're going to start doing the community gardens. You get into the... You know the farmers markets is doing. You see some of that in Greenville now, but we got ours here. You know it's 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 cropping up. We need to put a little bit more emphasis on that. I think of getting good fruits and vegetables and let people know what we're actually growing in Anderson County. I mean we're 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 bigger in agriculture than most people think, and we needed to keep it that way too. I mean you got to have a plan to succeed, but you don't need to do away with you know some of your roots either. And, uh, and I think we've done a good job with that in Anderson County. Your role is a pretty significant one in Columbia. In fact, the other legislative delegation members are talking about how heavy you're, there's like Atlas, you're carrying the world on your shoulders <laughs> down there, because basically your role is the budget for the entire state, right? And tell tell folks a little bit about what, what your title is and what you do with that. Well, a lot of folks call me Dr. Doe in Columbia because I say no a lot, because uh, you kind of have to. I mean, uh, um, as chairman of Ways and Means, I'm, I'm very privilege to the point that uh, in South Carolina, the speaker does not really pick the, the chair like they do in a lot of other states. The committee elects the chairman. Um, so the committee elects me basically to be the chairman. Uh, and the budget for the state of South Carolina starts in the House of Representatives. So it starts with, with Ways and Means Committee, which I chair. So we actually start the process of how to spend the money for the state. Uh, we also determine the taxation for the state. So any, any taxes raised or, or lowered, uh, anything dealing with the revenue, we, we partake in. Um, and the beauty of it is you have to be balanced. Our Constitution is fabulous. It says you have to have a balanced budget and your debt can only be 5% of your revenues. So we, we've got a great document. If Washington had that document, everybody would be in better shape. Uh, but we don't. And you have to do things within uh, reason. That's what I laughed about. You know, told me Dr. No, because um, you got to be careful with what you do because you got a framework and guidelines within statutes, within the Constitution, of how you have to spend that money. Uh, you also have federal mandates with things that you have to spend. If you get out of uh, what they think may or may not be adequate, you know, so if we don't fund the prison system the proper way, then all of a sudden we could get sued. The Department of Justice could come in, and the Department of Justice could take care of your prison system, and then they, in turn, would be sending you the, the bill that you would have to pay. You have no say-so in it. So it's a, it's a delicate balancing act between, you know, okay, you know, we got revenue. You know, do we cut the revenue? Do we take care of our expenditures? Medicaid's growing. we got to take care uh, of Medicaid, the school system. Uh, in the prison system. So basically between law enforcement, education, and the medical side makes up about 80% of the state's budget just in those three areas. Uh, then you get into like the judicial system and then you get into uh, roads, you get into the environment, you get it. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work to do it. And like I said, you have to say no a lot. It's not always fun to say no. I mean, I'd like to give, you know, there's a lot of worthwhile things that you just can't afford, and you have to uh, be willing to make those decisions, and uh, and that's that's the hard part about the job, you know. And then the economic development side, you know, is kind of neat because uh, with that also set on what used to be the Budget Control Board, it's now the State Fiscal and Accountability Authority, which oversees all the state's properties, uh, properties easements, bonding, um, that financial side too. So it's it's almost two jobs in one uh, to that point. So. When we do an economic development, I work with uh, Secretary Hitt. We speak almost on a weekly basis uh, to know whether something's looking at South Carolina, kind of where, um, what the financial packages may be, uh, what can we afford, what can we not afford, uh, do we need to bond it, uh, do we need to have a blending of bonding, not bonding, uh, work with the ports uh, on a, a frequent basis of the dredging that's going on, getting the permitting for that, we have that. Uh, and then the match money that has to come in from the feds, you know, what account does that go in? You know, is it secured? Is it a trust account? Do we take the revenue off of that, be able to stay in the account, or we take that interest, put it over here? So it, it's, a, it, it's basically a CFO's job 
to that point. So it, and we start, we never stop. Uh, basically, you know, you basically have three fiscal years running at once. Uh, July 1 is our fiscal year. Uh, so one year ends, another one starts, but you're also trying to close out the books uh, for the other fiscal year that goes into uh, probably somewhere in the September range. But then uh, the, the governor starts asking all the agencies, then as you finish and start one budget, what, what's your next year's priorities? What are you going to need money for? What programs are growing? Which ones can we shrink? So then they start submitting their annual budgets, and we get those by September. So theoretically, that July, August, September, you kind of juggling three different budgets or working on three different budgets for the state. So it, uh, so it's really kind of gotten to be a full-time job at that point when you're you're doing that and having the authority meetings, you're having the budget uh, meetings within the house side of things, and then you take on projects like I'm trying to revamp the education funding formula uh, that we spend a lot of money in education. Um, and it's gotten layered so much because everybody's got their own idea how to fix it. Uh, that we put money in this program, money in that program, but you know I like a return on the investment. And it takes a long time to go start digging down and peeling back layers because, quite honest, some people think you know it's theirs and they're very protective uh, of of what they have. So it, it takes some doings. And I told uh, uh, the committee I appointed, I said, let's be realistic, do this over about a three-year period. You know, let's let's drill down, peel back, and then let's put back together. I mean, we got an EFA and an EIA, both funding formulas on average is 35 years old. They just don't work. All we need is an E. We just need to fund education, you know, because you read the 2465 that we fund according to base due to cost. Well, that doesn't take the EIA money. It doesn't count like school buses. It doesn't account for other things, which winds up to about over $10,000, $11,000 per student if you don't equate the debt so and they I think it's 10 billion dollars a year is what we spend in k-12 10 billion state local and federal so it's a lot of money um, but a lot of it's not getting to the classroom uh, and you know there's a lot of problems with with education and money's not one of them you know it's it's things have changed and you know, we talked about the technology has changed things and you know, the discipline that's not there. You know, the teachers need a little bit more of a support service. And society's gotten to a point where, you know, everybody's got a right, but at some point we got to have some discipline too. And, and somebody's, you know, got to come in there and say, hey, I messed up. Take on some personal responsibility. Uh, and we got to get that back in education. We got to let the educators know we got their back. They need to do what needs to be done and stop being afraid to do your job. Essentially, it's where we've got to get to. Well, you just you touched on my next question. This is supposed to be a part-time job. Yeah. Now, first of all, why did you get involved in public service, Brian? Oh, wow, because I wanted to make a difference. Um, you know, you all hear the saying, you know, I got my dad was always great, and you know, you put up or shut up. And uh, I put up to that point. Uh, we had an uh, aviation company for years my dad built, and, uh, and, of course, government kind of put us out of business. But... Uh, to that point, we were regulated by the federal government, by state government, by the local government, uh, and just got frustrated for just to the point of, you know, golly, Pete is just like going around in circles chasing your tail. Uh, never could get an answer here, couldn't get an answer there. Um, I try to do my best now to do constituent service to help people get through that gridlock, or at least if we can't, there's an explanation of what's happening. I mean, I think that's important. So, and I got three daughters now. I mean, and, and I want to make this a better place for them to live. I want them to be able to have a quality job, a quality of life, to be able to stay in Anderson. If not Anderson, maybe at least South Carolina. I want them close to me and have grandkids and have that thing. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, I, I want to make a difference. Uh, I hope I'm making a difference. Uh, I, I definitely try uh, to do that and try to do it with, with common sense uh, and where it's not wrecking people's livelihoods and it's not making harm to folks at the same time. It's, it's uh, got to be balanced. I always take one attitude and whatever I do is to be fair. I mean, you got to be fair. You know, my dad always said there's three sides to everything, and some of the folks in Columbia get a little bit upset with me that, is that you know, you get folks coming in on two opposite sides, and, you know, they both got their extremes, you know. It's like, you know, everybody's got their story. You know, it's mine and yours, but then somewhere's the truth. 
And that's what we got to get to. We got to get to the truth and what's fair. You know, neither side's going to get 100% of what they want. I mean, that's just not going to happen. And so you got to, it's somewhere, find that common ground and to be able to bring people together to get to the common ground. And if you can't, then you have to throw both of them out. And, I, and that's what I try to do. And I think I've got that reputation of doing that, of trying to get people to that point. Uh, and sometimes they go kicking and screaming. Sometimes they understand and come along. So, But it's that's the part I like, is trying to help people um, make it a better place. And uh, I try my best. What's the, the best way for people to get in touch with you if they do need your help on something? Uh, my cell phone, obviously, uh, 864-617-2354. Uh, email is White at charter.net. Uh, and that's with all eyes, no eyes. But, uh, and that's the easiest way. Um, phone call or text is probably the easiest. My voicemail stays full if people tell you to call me. I mean, it, I can delete it and it'll fill back up in a hurry. Uh, I think you saw me on the phone this morning. But uh, it, it's I'm continuously on the phone. Uh, I like emails. I don't like form emails. We get so many a day now with the uh, emails coming in and people just, you know, go click here to send a message to your legislator. Uh, a lot of them don't know what message they're sending. They just send in whatever form letter may come in. And it's pretty bad because, I mean, now we'll get thousands of emails. I mean, just form letters. Uh, and we really don't have, you know, a, a per se staff dedicated for that. Uh, we're not Congress. Uh, and, and so we, we have to weed through them ourselves. Uh, or if we do have, uh, we do have people that help us, but they help two or three people. I'm fortunate. I've got a staff. I've got the largest staff in the House. But they're doing budget work and legislative work. They're not sitting there dealing with emails. Um, so I'm like everyone else. I have, you know, someone that's sharing a little bit of their time to come in and go through. We go through emails to try to get responses back to people to help us out do that. But when you got thousands per day, it depends on the issue. People will just hit it and send you something. Um, try to tell folks, don't send the form email. You know, either send me a text, call me, call the Columbia office. Uh, at Ways and Means, you can go to on our websites at the State House and, and, and click on to us, but I just rather you just call me, do whatever. And emails sometimes come off with the wrong tone. You know, people get upset. You know, because uh, you know, I'm like, well, that's the bad part about email. Almost the bad part about texting is the tone of, of what have you. You can't go one into another. And uh, so I I still like the good old conversation with people. I really do. I mean, I think that's the better way to go. But unfortunately, we live in a world where everything has to happen right now. Uh, I want an instant answer. I want instant gratification. I want instant everything. And it just, you got to give us time because we're not experts on everything. Uh, we can, sometimes we want to research it to get back to you, or at least we can say, hey, let me look that up. Uh, and that goes true for all the members of the delegation. I mean, we're all pulling in different directions, have the same form emails coming in. We have the same people on to us. And sometimes, you know, we'll delegate to each other, depending on the expertise of things. You know, so Mike's over in the Senate. They sit on different committees. It may be a Senate bill more so than a House bill. So we'll kind of hand off and wait on Mike to get back with us on, on his part. You know, Ann's on legislative or LCI, you know, the commerce side of things and business committee and insurance. So we kind of let, you know, what's in your committee, what's going on with that, because I don't know. Jay's on education. Um, you know, we got, so it, it depends on what you're doing. Uh, Putnam, I think, is on. He's on education as well, and I think Hill's there as well. So we got several on education. Uh, Craig Gagnon's on LCI with Ann, so I'm on Ways and Means, um, and the senators are kind of both on the same committees for the most part because they're structured different. So, uh, so we rely on each other's expertise too uh, to help us wade through some of these questions that we get and the issues that we have. I think keep us informed. I mean, uh, you know, you, you, unfortunately, you get a lot of, you know, I hate to use the word, but it's true, fake news out there. I mean, it, it's, I refer to, you know, cell phones and the internet now, like uh, whenever I was growing up, my mom went to the beauty shop every, you know, every week or so, and they'd get the gossip to the beauty shop and run through. My dad went to the barber shop and he took us there, you know, down in Iowa. But that's, you know, so I mean, I think it's almost like that part. You always heard the gossip, you know, through those, 
those channels was always where, where you went to get the information. Now it's popping up on your phone, like, you know, instant to every minute or whatever. And it's an outlet. You don't know if it's credible news or not. People are making it up. I think you've seen in the, you know, the last election where the Russians are here. And well, there's more than just the Russians. I mean, people are just throwing stuff out there just to get people angry, you know, and, and the misinformation. Just call us. You know, call any member of the delegation. We'll get back to you. Uh, call me. I mean, it, it will give you the information. You may not like it, but it may be totally opposite from what, you know, as I've, I told folks, I've been told most powerful person in the world, but I've never met him. You know, and everybody's heard of, I've been told. And uh, so, you know, we'll give it to you. We'll, we, can, we can back it up. And folks, you know, it, I tell them, I said, if you want to see the budget, come on down. I have nothing to hide. It's the state's budget. It's the people's budget. Uh, I'll open up the books. You know, you come down, we'll just sit there and walk you through it. It may take a while if you want, but if you're really interested and you want to do it, We'll take the time to do it for you. I mean, we'll show you where everything is. We'll give it to you. There's nothing to hide. Uh, we're so transparent now with websites that we're on. You can get anything, do anything. It's like the DOT now. DOT spent a lot of money to revamp their website. That basically all the audits are on their website. You can report fraud and abuse on their website. You can do it anonymously. And under our whistleblower laws, if you save us a lot of money, you will get a reward. Uh, but I don't know that many people are doing it. They hear out there about all this fraud and abuse, but we made it available for you to be able to easily sit at your, in your chair on a device and report it. And now uh, they're also got out there, it's pretty cool, a link that you can go on on their website and look at your area like Anderson County and say, okay, here's the road projects that are coming to Anderson County. You can zoom in on that road in that area. So they've got them loaded on there so you can see all this information. So folks like transparency, we've done a great job of doing it, providing anything and everything you can imagine on a website uh, that you can legally do. Um, but it, it, the information's there. Um, and I think folks need to go to those things, look at them. You know, don't, don't just believe somebody out of Alexandria, Virginia, or somebody out of Oklahoma, somewhere else. Go. Go look for yourselves. Y'all ask about transparency. You want to know where your money's going. We do that. It's out there. So, I mean, just take, if, if, if you can't look it up, then call us. We'll be glad to tell you. Um, give you documentation or, you know, come ride to Columbia with us. Spend the day. Um, I encourage that a lot. I got a kid coming uh, pretty soon out of Pendleton High School that's going to come job shadow me. You know, I tell folks, you want to job shadow me, come on in. Now, you can't go into some of the private meetings you might have about economic development discussions going on, but uh, during any other kid, adult, come on. Take, you know, love to educate folks about what we do, and I'm glad that y'all are doing this TV segments on kind of what we do and how we do, and you can come follow us around for today if you want. But they, uh, uh, So it's, it's, it's one of those situations that, you know, hey, we are accessible. You know, information's out there. Uh, no one's trying to hide anything, uh, but we'll give it to you straight. Not like some political operative that just gives it to you their way. We'll give it to you 100% black and white, however you want it. You know, I've talked to a lot of our elected officials, local folks, particularly in recent weeks, and it just occurred to me that all the talk and all the scuttle and all the, the political talk out there, there are a lot of folks who are just in the constant critical mode when it comes to politicians, including our own representatives. And I gotta say, uh, my experience has been that from our county council to our legislative delegation, uh, those elected members in those bodies have always been accessible to me. It called me back, even when I'm asking hard questions, and they're always seeking information from citizens, and they've made that clear every time we've talked. So if you have an idea, maybe a good idea, a problem, or just something maybe good to say, which is they'd be stunned to hear from you, give your representative a call, it's why they choose to run for public office, and it's why they choose to service. And if, like I said, there will be some offices open this year, so maybe it's your turn to take step up and take a turn to run and to be a public servant in an elected office. Um, Anderson County has a, a really deep and rich history of folks who have done this, and it just has a very deep and rich history. If you're interested in, in history at all, Anderson County's um, history is long and storied, 
And if you haven't been to the Anderson County Museum, you've missed one of the best places to spend half a day and also one of the best places to learn more about our hometown and our home county and the communities around it. There are exhibits there that offer detailed looks at both our history and the history of all the communities in the, in the county. There's a research library that helps those seeking even more in-depth information, usually somebody there to help guide them. And that library includes a number of books, among other things. And we can now add to that collection a new book by Anderson's own Liz Carey called Hidden History of Anderson County, which includes a number of lesser-known stories about our home county's days gone by. And it offers a nice forward by another local writer historian, Catherine Smith. Okay, Liz, let's talk about your new book. And then, wait a minute, is it The Hidden History of Anderson County or is it Hidden History of Anderson County? Hidden History of Anderson County. There's no the in there, right? Right, there's no the in there. <laughs> okay, that's like, like a lot of bands. You can't figure out if there's a the in front of it or not. But, right. But uh, all right, the book is out now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And people. Can... Um, it's out. Uh, you can get it at McDowell's. You can also get it at Cocoa Bond downtown. They're carrying it. And I think the museum um, is carrying a couple of copies as well as uh, Costco in Greenville. Oh, great. And, um, yeah, so it's available all over, and obviously it's available online at um, uh, History Press. Um, well, as a totally, yeah. just before we go too further, as a totally uncompensated uh, recommendation, I, I always tell people to go to McDowell's. We need our local bookshops, and so they need to get down and support uh, McDowell's Book Emporium right here in Anderson and uh, all the work exactly. that Judith is doing down there. So I always, always try to get a plug in for them. Right. I love them. I mean, um, last year, or not last year, I guess uh, 2016, I had uh, a hip replacement done on my right hip, so I was laid up for six weeks. And before we went uh, to the doctor you know, to get surgery done, um, I went in there and bought almost every Lee Child book that she had. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Reacher really helped me to get through <laughs> that six weeks of being down. <laughs> well, that's good. All right, now, let's, let's talk about this book. Why, why Hidden History of Anderson, and what does that mean? Well, you know, there's always um, the things that we know about in um, Anderson County that we always talk about, you know, um, Whitner and the electric power pump and um, in, on Portman Shoals. And, and there's tons of stories that we've heard. But there's always a lot more to them. And so when I came here in 2007, um, you know, I was talking to Allison Henman at the museum, and she sort of started giving me some of these stories that I, I just had a hard time believing. Um, same with Brian Scott, you know, some of his great stuff from one of the Kudzu. I was like, you know, surely the gosh, this cannot be right. And um, I sat down, uh, I was talking to the History Press, um, Arcadia Press, and I said, you know, there's a ton of stories here that nobody really knows about. Or they may know a little bit about them, but they're not as um, familiar with with the whole story. Like, I don't think that anybody understands that Whitner was tied to Nikola Tesla and studied under Nikola Tesla in order to come up with the systems that he has, uh, that he had in place at Portman Shoals. So the more I dug, the more I found out, and the more I was just like, this is absolutely fascinating. Um, there's a lot of people who go to the museum uh, and may see the uh, balloon and read about Maude Broadwick first aerial accident back in the 1900, early 1900s happened here in Anderson. She was, uh, she actually fell from the balloon, um, as part of her performance, she was supposed to sort of, you know, go up and go down, but somehow her legs got tangled up in, in um, cords and she fell. And at the time they didn't know it was huge because it was like, they didn't know if it was suicide or if it was an accident or she'd gotten pushed or, you know, something, all that sort of stuff. But what they don't talk about is that her husband actually was one of the pioneers of parachuting in the United States, and some of his designs that were designed in the early 1900s are still in use today. And I just found that those and that she's buried like here. That. She's buried here as well. So, right, she's buried here, yep. um, and it was really confusing because every uh, uh, Broadwick, um, every partner that he had that was a female. He referred to them as either their, his wife or his daughter, you know, whatever, sort of like a stage persona. Mm -hmm. um, but all of them he called Tiny. And so I'm looking through all these times, like, who in the heck is he talking about? Because <laughs> Tiny did this, and then, you know, Tiny left, and then 15 years later, Tiny was doing it again. So um, 
And there's a lot of uh, a lot of really interesting stories, and you know it's nice to actually find her her tombstone in Silverbrook Cemetery, and um, uh, it's kind of sad, you know. Mm-hmm. He had her he had her buried before her parents even knew she was dead. That is sad. Well, there are a lot of great stories, Anderson, and really not a lot of um, books written about it. I mean, Anderson does not have a lot of history books written about Anderson. I mean, we've got you know the famous one, but other than that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and this covers um, from the uh, Indian days all the way up to the ninth, well, two thousand, um, with the Monopoly scandal. Um, I'm sure that there are people who remember the Monopoly pieces and and the scandal and how it relates to Anderson. But um, when I was doing research for a piece for the Independent Mail when I was working on for New Year's, I came across that, and I thought, oh my God, that's a, that's a huge national story, and to think that it happened right here mm-hmm. in Anderson County is, um, you know, a little um, bewildering. Well, remind, remind people that they don't know that story. <laughs> well, uh, the story is that um, at the very beginning of uh, Monopoly, uh, the McDonald's Monopoly game, Mm-hmm. Um, there was one guy who handled all of those little tabs that go on the um, uh, large drinks and the Big Macs and the hash browns and the French fries. Um, and you know, if you're familiar with the game, you go to McDonald's, you buy um, a hamburger or a Big Mac and a Coke and fries and on certain sizes of those, you get a little tab, you pull the tabs off, and if they match certain properties on a monopoly board, then you get certain prizes. Or some of them where they just give, you know, some of them pull them off and it's like, you know, a dollar off or, you know, a free French fry or whatever. But some of the prizes were really big. A million dollars, cars, game systems, boats, motorcycles, really big influential prizes. Um, and what happened was that this one guy was recruiting uh, people uh, to go and cash in the winning tickets. He figured out how to identify which one of the tickets were winning ones without opening them because he was the only one that was taking them to where they needed to be to, to be processed, to be put on the, the containers. So he would pull those tickets give them to people, to people here in Anderson County were the top two people that he did. And um, they would cash the tickets in under assumed names or they would give them to their cousins and uncles and nephews or business associates to cash in the tickets and told them, you get to keep X amount of it and the rest of it goes to me. So um, eventually in about 2000, um, the FBI sort of figured it all out and um, arrested two people in Anderson County, another one up in Oconee County, and um, tried them for fraud, which um, it was just, it was a fascinating thing. All of those people, this went on for like 10 years, 10, 15 years. And um, so all of those million dollar prizes never got awarded. They were uh, McDonald's was scammed out of all of those million dollar prizes and they were given to somebody else. So after McDonald's found it out, um, they came back and said, okay, well, you know, <laughs> this happened. So we're just going to give away a million dollars. And they just picked a couple of different places around the country and, um, left it to the stores and the stores just picked somebody at random and handed them a million dollars. In one of those cases, it was a guy who was spending his last $5 to buy himself a um, Big Mac. Uh, he was homeless. He and his girlfriend were homeless. Um, he, they had just finished a job as day laborers. They had made $50 combined the day before, and that was their last $5. And um, he ended up getting a million dollars. Just by buying a hamburger. Wouldn't it be great if you could go in and buy wow. a hamburger from Arnold to get a million dollars? Yeah, we need to call Gary and them and see if they can start their million dollar. They're expanding quickly, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
rains on Maine. Come on, we really need it. <laughs> well, how many how many stories are in the book? Um, I think it's roughly around twenty. Um, so it covers um, it's basically broken into three different sections. So um, pre Civil War, Civil War, and modern time. Um, and uh, uh, it's a you know there's a there's obviously a chapter about Mance Jolly. Everybody has to talk about Mance mm. Jolly. I mean it's not exactly hidden history, but I think what's interesting is we don't really know that much about Mance Jolly. And there's so many questions. I mean we know a lot about him, but you don't know which is yeah. fable and which is history. Right. Um, there was a there was a trial that happened here right after the Civil War where um, four men in Anderson were uh, charged with murdering three Confederate soldiers. And that trial went all the way up to the Supreme Court and um, the President of the United States. Um, there's, um, trying to think here, some of the more exciting ones. Um, talking about the General's Road, which actually became Clemson Boulevard and uh, Beeville Highway. Um, it was the main thoroughfare. It was named from the generals that used to travel up and down it. Um, there's um, stories about, obviously, Whitner, um, about the Orr brothers, um, Bill and Sam Orr, who uh, grew up in the Marshall Orr house here on, I think it's on Whitner, it's either Whitner or Market. And um, one of them was involved with the Enigma, um, breaking the code for Enigma, if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. that was the German code um, machine um, uh, made. Everybody knows that from the imitation game, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was um, one of the soldiers on the Bataan Death March. And they're just two guys who grew up in Anderson and went on to live these, you know, amazing lives. So um, there's some real interesting stories i just I, I can't wait to do another one <laughs> <laughs> all right now you you you're, i know you've written a children's book right yes and this is your second book yeah okay okay now are you going to talk to like history classes and stuff is that part of the plan here or we have a couple of book, book signings and talks coming up um on february 20th i'll be at the museum to do a book signing and talk Working with the library, we'll be doing something there because a lot of the research that I did came out of the South Carolina room. I mean, I right. you know I don't I don't know how many people have been up to the South Carolina room in the library, right. but literally I could spend hours. There. Oh my gosh, it is! Um, you know, Bryn McLean when she wrote her, she said she spent weeks there. You know, so she probably yeah. paid enough money in copying up there to pay salary. She was up at the South Carolina room so long working on her one good mama bone novel. Oh yeah, so, and it's a great book, you know. And then yeah. she, we talked when she was here uh, doing her thing at the museum. We talked about our mutual love for the South Carolina room. Um, mm -hmm. Just the books that are there, uh, just about Anderson, just about South Carolina. When we first moved here, I think the first thing that I did was go up there and pulled every book of uh, low country culture that I could just because it was so fascinating to me, the hoodoo and all the other things that go on down there in the Gullah language. Well, and I would go ahead. No, I was just going to say people do have this deep um, abiding sense of history here still. And there's a lot of people still trying to keep that flame alive. And um, right. I'm glad this book will kind of help contribute to that. Cause all these pieces, like you said, um, you know, Brian's reminded a lot of people through his Under the Kudzu work and his books that he's done. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, we, we uh, really need, uh, I think we were talking about, you know, people of this generation, we don't have as many historians as we once had. People don't spend as much time in the libraries and in the museums and stuff. And we have a, I mean, for a town Anderson size, we have a phenomenal library and museum here. I think people forget about Oh, that. yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're both amazing resources. Right. Um, I did a, a – um, I'm trying to figure out – I did a story a while back, probably about three, four years ago, on Belk because it was Belk's anniversary. And then not a lot of people realized that, you know, it, was, it started here in Anderson. And um, it's just a huge, huge thing. Um, so I think the next book that I want to do, though, is called um, – Work for History Press. Um, I want to do one on South Carolina women because um, 
there's so many women in South Carolina that you don't really don't hear about and right. you don't know that they come from South Carolina. Um, if you pick up the next issue of Anderson Magazine, I did a story on Viola Griffin and Freda Acker, who were um, part of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, otherwise known as the team that League of Their Own is yeah. about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they were from here. I'm like, Right, and she's, in the, she's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, who knew? Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, there's uh, Jewel, one of the cold girls, and I can't think of her name right off the top of my, her last name right off the top of my head. Um, there's a lot of women from all over South Carolina. Esma, that Esmacher, just, Jewel Esmacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just, just uh, I keep on calling her Shoemaker. Um, <laughs> but there's just some, you know, amazing women um, all across the state. Well, and then be, I would love to, that'd be a I would great love to book. do one on it. Yeah, I would love to do one on Anderson. The next one that I want to do on Anderson is called um, Murder, Mayhem, and Moonshine. Because um, as I was going, you don't know how easy it is that when you're sitting there reading these newspapers and getting all these stories and doing all the research on all of these things, when you're reading a newspaper about, you know, um, how Williamson was founded, and you go back and you start looking at stories about um, the hotels that were where, there and the Chautauquas that were there and how popular it was. And then all of a sudden you'll find these little stories about, you know, guy goes in and murders his estranged wife and her entire family um, in 1910 or whatever. And, and um, um, there was one story that I read that this um, elderly man who was a widower decided that he needed to get married, married a much younger woman who was the church organist, but she was like 30, she was a spinster, and this was her last chance or whatever to get married, and um, every Sunday she would ask him to come with her to church, and uh, every Sunday he would say no, and so um, one day she asked him to come to church to get his, you know, his soul right with God. And he said he wasn't going to do it. He was going to sit there, have his you know, libations, take it easy. It was Sunday. It was his day, and he wasn't going to move. So um, she shut the door to the house, locked it, set the house on fire, and then went to, went to church and played the organ while the house burned down with him in it. Hmm. Okay. I mean, you know, you just don't... It's like, how, how can you not write about something like right. that? Right. Well, you know, you're talking about that. People forget how many great crime trials and stuff we've had here. I know when uh, Slim Hembry and I worked together, he had been editor of The Independent for like 50 years. He said that there were trials so um, dramatic and so touchy that they actually had to hide him in a hotel in Hartwell, Georgia, and come over to cover it and go back and hide him after people threatened to kill him just for covering him. Yeah, oh, wow. So, uh, well, it's, there was one here, wasn't there one? Um, there wasn't the sort of place where the Twinkie defense was. And um, it was it Twinkie Defense? I was talking to George Duckworth about this, and he gave me yeah. a couple oh, of different George's trials. George's got some great in. ones. Well, right, George. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, George can uh, I'll tell you what. Yeah, it'd be funny. Well, Liz, I hope everybody buys your book. Is it going to be available at any point for Kindle? Do you know? I don't know. I'll talk to History Press, and I'll find out and let you know. Um, I can also send you the link to History Press if you want to put it there on the, the Internet Observer's website. And... Um, you know, obviously, I'll uh, put a link to it in the in the um, in the uh, podcast notes for this week. Yeah, and uh, so the podcast should okay. be up this weekend, and people will know about your book. And hope people come out to the event, the twentieth at the museum, and start looking for your book. And I'm I'm glad right. that you're taking time. Uh, you know, I know a lot of these things people don't realize are labors of love. You got to make a living, and you want to do the things you love. To. <laughs> and, and writing a book exactly. is a very exactly. difficult thing to do, and nobody appreciates it who hasn't done it. So, uh, right. I well, and then also um, on Friday, March second, during First Friday, I'm going to be there at Coco Bon um, doing a book signing and talk. And you know, that's such a great tie-in because he has that 1900s theme to his store, handmade chocolates. And anytime you get a chance to make or eat handmade chocolates, you should definitely do it. Well, Liz, I hope everybody buys this book. I look forward to reading it. I'll get it on my list and get me a copy, and uh, we'll uh, talk more about it as time goes by, if that sounds good to you. Sounds great. All Thank right. you so much. Lots of interesting information in this book, and if you are interested in Anderson history at all, or just in Anderson, uh, whether you've been here forever with your family like me or you're a newcomer here, it's worth having a copy. 
And speaking of history, the historic home of the Milltown Players over in Pelzer has one more weekend of shows with their excellent California Dreaming Musical Review. As I mentioned last week, it is highly entertaining for all ages and very affordable. And if you missed that interview with Will Raglan, who was founder of Milltown Players, uh, you can check it out on last week's podcast. The Market Theater also has a show this weekend. It's their first of 2018. Sylvia is a love story with a dog center stage. And I hope to catch that this weekend as well. And from what I've heard, so should you. There are too many events coming up in March to start here, but next week I will feature some of those and I'll have guests who will talk about the Walk with the Docks, Meals on Wheels Connector Run, and their Meet the Elites Bassmaster event. Uh, Ames Heart for Helping Breakfast, which is coming up early in March, March 6th. And I will also be talking to Sullivan's founder, Bill Nickus, about downtown development. And next week I will launch a new feature, uh, a new Word on the Street segment, and possibly have another surprise guest all on the Anderson Observer podcast, news from people you trust. So until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place.